Welcome to BCG Talks Leadership Series. I'm Lisa Engel, Managing Director of Barclay Capital Group, and I'll be speaking with global leaders in hospitality to gain insight as to their leadership style and the companies they lead. He leads Eden's pan-European real estate development platform and the broad creative director of their brands and was one of the original co-founders of Log Hotels. He's Eric Jafari. Eric, thank you for joining. Part one, key themes. Which two themes, agility, innovation, and or sustainability, do you wish to discuss and why? Thank you for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it. Uh, The two topics I'd like to take are agility and innovation, but I'd like to throw in a third, evolution. We've all heard derivatives of the adage, if you're not growing, you're dying. And from my perspective, that adage is just as applicable, if not more so, to companies as it is individuals. What's interesting about the premise of evolution is that all too often for companies and even for individuals, we fail to take the painful decision to evolve, to change, unless we're forced to do so. And what traditionally forces us to do so is trauma. I mean, you look back at the 2008 Lehman crash, what I would call one of the greatest economic traumas that we've had in decades. And what ushered in thereafter was a very interesting period of hospitality. You know, we went from white tablecloth and large chandeliers, you know, this embrace of traditional luxury to something a little bit more experiential. You know, the emergence of the likes of Soho House, Ennis Moore, the democratization of the experiential. And what, what's interesting, I kind of get a kick from time to time when people say hipsterdom is a fad, as if it's a type of attire. And I think what people fail to understand is what hipsterdom is, in a lot of cases, is a response to the Lehman crash. It was basically the masses saying, we still like good food, we love good design, but it shouldn't just be afforded to the ultra-affluent. And so that took shape in the emergence of a certain type of hospitality. That took shape in the form of innovation. It also took shape by those that were agile enough to respond to that economic crisis. And let's be honest, COVID-19 has been far more traumatic than the Lehman crisis. And so it'll be in very interesting to see what type of innovation and evolution is ushered in as a result of COVID-19. And it'll come from those that are agile enough and disciplined enough to make those changes. Thanks, Eric. And for the third theme, what made you choose evolution? In order to understand what type of innovation is likely to arise over the course of the next 10 years, it's important to understand the reasons for why that innovation needs to come about. Now, I've got no crystal ball, but the real question is, will hospitality evolve I think in order to answer that question, we need to look at what has transpired over the course of the last nine months, and are any of these consumer behaviors here to stay? You know, I've kind of thought about four things. I mean, I I don't have a crystal ball, but there are four things that have crossed my mind. I mean, the first is kind of the emergence of working from anywhere. There was a lot of talk about the fact that office may never return, and I'm highly doubtful. What's interesting is that even when you speak to friends of mine that work at Google and Facebook, They'll tell you that working from home or working away from the office has its limitations. With that said, I think we are likely to see an emergence of, of the hybrid. You know, working from the home for a day or two a week and working from the office two to three days per week. I think that's here to stay. The question is, how will that impact hospitality? The second is the following. 
If you think about what COVID has forced us to do, COVID, you know, for those of us that have wanted to stay sane, COVID has forced many of us to spend our leisure time in the outdoors. And so in response to that, two things have happened. One is we've become a lot more sensitive to being confined to smaller spaces, which could have an impact on perception of density as it relates to both the office and hospitality. And the second is the recognition that for a very, very long period of time, for many of us, the only bit of respite we had was in nature, sitting outside, sitting with friends, obviously observing social distancing. But greenery and vegetation have played a far more important role this year than it's ever had in the past. And so I suspect that that is likely to, to stay, either in the form of design, in the form of function, in the form of division. It'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. The third, and I did touch upon this before, I think two things. One is there's obviously a sensitivity to being confined to smaller spaces. I think the second thing is, is that you'll notice that there are two types of trends that have emerged. You've obviously observed friends with kids who decided that they need to upgrade to be a bigger home. And in response, have moved further out, some as far as two, three hours away from, from the city. The reality is if those people are still having to work two, three days a week in the city and are having to do it quite frequently, these people at some point or another are going to need a pied-à-terre. Now, they can either do this in the form of purchasing a property, renting one on an AST basis, or opting into some form of flexible living. Now, I suspect that hotels will try to pivot to capture this demographic, but let's be honest, a hotel room isn't a home. You need a living quarters. You need a kitchen. And from this perspective, Airbnb is better positioned to benefit from this emergence in demographic. The second are people who don't have kids. A lot of these people have woken up to the fact that they could technically work from anywhere. I mean, I've heard a number of these people say that, you know, when the dust settles, do they really want to be spending their winters working in London when they can work somewhere sunnier? somewhere like Portugal or Spain, where, you know, they can get back to London once a week on an easy jet or Ryanair flight, you know, for 60, 70 pounds, and then spend the rest of the week working in something somewhere with a better cost of living, higher quality of living at a lower cost and better temperament. This demographic, especially because they don't have kids, is likely to need some form of community. And so the Airbnb movement may not suffice. This community is likely to need some form of co-living derivative, a place where they can plug into a community, use a gym, co-working space, you know, some of the features that they've been accustomed to here in London. And so in response to these trends, you know, those that have the agility may be able to use some of these shifting sands to innovate. That's what we're trying to do as well. But I know a lot of people see this as a very scary time because change is scary, but change typically not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, can lead to incredible innovation that improves our quality of life. I'm hopeful for the type of change that this could usher in. Part two, the leader. How do you describe yourself? At my core, I would say that I'm someone that is obsessed with personal evolution, much to I think that the dismay at, uh, of those around me, I, I tend to have an obsession for learning and experimentation. Uh, and it is something I have to bring in check from time to time. I think those around me tend to find it exhausting. 
I will very rarely eat at the same restaurant twice, watch the same movie twice, read the same book twice, because I'm addicted to experiencing reading, learning something new. It's unlikely that if I'm walking from A to B or commuting that I don't have my headphones in and listening to some form of podcast, audiobook, or meditating. And so it's something that, <laughs> that I'm working on. What's your leadership style? With respect to my leadership style, that is an even better question. And instead of answering that myself, I actually took the time to ask feedback from some of my peers. One of the more flattering bits of feedback I got is that I tend to hire very talented, driven, intelligent individuals and provide them with the freedom to do their thing whilst giving them a clear vision of what it is that we're trying to achieve as an organization and really focusing on context and why. That's very flattering. I wish I could say I, that's always been my uh, leadership style. The reality is, unfortunately, otherwise. It'll come down to the following. I, I used to micromanage. I'll never forget, approximately seven years ago, I just hired our investment director, Mirzak Kadur, who has far more of a proficiency and experience in lending than I'll ever have. And uh, I brought him in because we needed his expertise. And it was kind of a do or die situation. And at that point in time, instead of giving him the freedom to perform, I found myself constantly intervening and micromanaging, partially because if he failed to perform, it would have been the end of our, our organization. And it was through that process that something had happened and I was unable to continue micromanaging him. And what ended up happening shortly thereafter is that as a result of being forced to provide him and others with the freedom they needed to perform, what they ended up with was an output and a result that was far greater than anything I'd pictured. It was an important lesson for me. And to this day, that lesson is one that continues to amaze me. When we brought in Matt Grzynski to design Lock at Broken Wharf, I had a vision for what I wanted it to be. And fortunately, Matt didn't listen to me. <laughs> and But I gave him the freedom to create. And what he ended up with was something far more innovative and beautiful than anything I could have ever pictured. And this is a lesson that I continue to be surprised by. But it really stems from making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people that are far more proficient within the field of their focus than I could ever be. One of the bits of constructive criticism that I got uh, that I'm actually appreciative of was that as of late, I've been very distracted. And what's interesting about this is that this definitely has to do with COVID and it's been an eye-opener for me. Prior to COVID, it was unlikely that if I was sitting in a meeting room that I'd be checking my phone or checking emails. I'd typically be sitting there taking notes, engaging in, in the meeting. As a result of kind of this new COVID era where mo the majority, if not half of the meetings are being held on Teams or on Zoom, I found myself responding to emails, texts, doing anything other than focusing on the meeting and just giving 50% of my attention to the meeting. And uh, this bit of constructive feedback has opened my eyes to the fact that they're not getting all of me during that time, just part of me. And so uh, I guess I've got a new uh, New Year's resolution for next year and I need to work on. What traits are key to succeed? I mean, there's so many different definitions to success. If you ask me this question in six months' time, in 12 months' time, in five years' time, 
there's a 99% chance that my definition then will differ to the one that I provide you with now. What I can tell you is at this moment in time, I would suggest that one of the keys is to really map out in granular detail what it is that you want, what it is that you're trying to, to achieve, and then ask yourself the very hard question, why? And when you get an answer, keep on asking why. Once you've gotten to the why, and you've got a clear vision of the what, then really zero in on the how in very granular detail. You know, in order to hit that five-year goal, what's the 12-month goal? What's the quarterly goal? What then are the resources that you need to achieve that? And what happens in the event of a black swan event, such as the one that we just had? Failing to plan for the black swan event, in my opinion, is, is gullibility. You know, the last, typically recessions happen every seven years. We were 12 years into a seven year cycle. And so something was bound to happen. Now, obviously nobody could have predicted this, but some form of downturn was, was inevitable. A lot of it is really planning in advance, in granular detail and having that plan rooted in a very clear why. And when I mean why, it's why does it matter? Does this world need your service? Why does the world need your service? Would the world be a better place at the end of this journey? And what will it have cost you? What impact do you wish to have and be remembered by? With respect to impact that I wish to have, I know that the balance of Eden share the same vision. And it's really the following. It's to make travel more meaningful. The definition of a hotel used to be fairly fixed. You know, a hotel room, arguably with a restaurant and a bar. And, you know, the lifestyle and boutique space ushered in to the very least design. But for the most part, hotels have evolved very little over the course of the last 50, 60, 100 years. That's partially because people have only traveled, you know, when people traveled, they would only typically spend two, three days in each hotel, at least urban hotels for that matter. The average length of stay pre-COVID over the course of the last 10 years here in London has gone from two days to five. And I can only assume that some of this was ushered in by Airbnb. There's a lot of talk about how COVID may increase length of stay. And so people may travel less frequently, but when they do travel, travel for extended periods of time. When someone is staying for a week or two or arguably longer, the type of experience that they want may evolve. They may need a co-working place. It's highly likely that they may want to meet locals. They might want to immerse themselves in a truly indigenous experience. What I hope happens and what I aspire happens is redefine what a hotel means to the consumer. Maybe it's instead of just a, a place where someone puts their head at night, it's an opportunity for someone to learn about the city and its subculture make new friends, you know, learn something too, that something new might be pottery, coffee making, gin making. Maybe staying away from home, there's an opportunity to maintain one's best habits as opposed to always declining to one's indulgences. You know, instead of eating club sandwiches and burgers, they're able to maintain their dietary regimes. Instead of going down to a gym and seeing just a bunch of treadmills, that they can maintain their CrossFit routine, their yoga class. And maybe it's an opportunity for them in the process of doing so to evolve. 
You know, I've been told very early on that if you're going to get hung up on trying to create these unique, memorable, indigenous, meaningful experiences, that you can only do it one at a time and you can't do it at scale. And I hope that one day I can be known as someone who can prove otherwise. And what would you say to your younger self starting out in this industry? There are three things. One is I would tell my younger self to spend a little bit of time studying the importance of sleep and wellness. I wish I'd known back then that I needed eight hours sleep and that the difference between eight and six is really the difference between me having a very sharp mind that could problem solve and figure things out as opposed to someone who was just trying to struggle. I had no idea at all that sleep is as important as it is. The second, obviously, is on wellness, you know, the, the importance of meditation, the importance of, of eating well, and how that has a significant impact on my physical mental performance. The second one, a bit of advice I'd give is just don't worry, everything's going to work itself out. Be patient. Have faith that playing this long game will pay off in the long run. You know, I was surrounded by peers who made a lot of money playing the short game. And I found it frequently dispiriting. And, uh, you know, things did pay off in the long game, but it took a lot of patience and it took a lot longer than I I could have ever anticipated. And then last but not least, I would suggest question everything. Don't take best practices for face value. If something doesn't add up, pull on that string and see where it takes you. Thanks, Eric, for your time and insight. I'm Lisa Engel, Managing Director of Barclay Capital Group, and this was BCG Talk's Leadership Series with Eric Jafari.